All right, before we get started here on episode 87, we want to let everyone know that Hammer Factor Live will once again be broadcasting the North Fork Championship live at 1 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, June 18th for the world to see. This is a huge undertaking. We've assembled a large crew with all the cameras, see the whole course, the drones. It truly will be the best seat in the house, and it can't happen without your support. This looks to be a great year. The water is going to be high, probably 1,000 CFS higher. I wouldn't be surprised if it gets close to 3,000 CFS by race day. We've got the international competitors back. You're going to see last year's ladies champ, Sage Donnelly, battle it out with Noria Newman. Natalie Anderson's going to be back. Darby McAdams, you name it, they're going to be there. Will Bernie Engelman take down Dane Jackson? Will Alec Voorhees take down Dane Jackson? Will Jeremy Nash take down Dane Jackson? Someone is probably going to take down Dane Jackson this year. Punch your ticket now. Go to hammerfactor.com to get the best seat in the house. All right, let's get into episode 87. Yo, shit hasn't changed since I was 16 I'm still chasing elusive dreams Trying to find an end to a means Just like my old man plotting get-rich schemes Nah, it's not all what it seems Can't count the times I let down my team I haven't dropped, but I've been in the scene Vindictive and mean, never say sorry for anything Anyways, I've been anything than great I'm not as confident as you may think Yes, dude, this is not a game. No pain, no gain. And friendships change. Yeah, you like this track, you feel the same. And you relate to what I'm saying. You're listening to Grace, Geltman, and Wells on the Hammer Factor. Take it away, boys. Man, I missed all the pre show. Half of that we're probably not even going to be able to talk about on the show. That's the case with every pre show. Their offer. <clears throat> like you pay like do the patreon patreon thing you get to be in the pre-show <laughs> but we're gonna have to make the, the price real high for that <laughs> yeah like, yeah it's gonna have yeah. to come maybe when they put a double the ir <laughs> <laughs> the money's squared away somewhere safe <laughs> that'll be our that. final nft for retirement yeah <laughs> Um, welcome to Hammer Factor episode 87. My name is John Grace, producer here at the show. I'd like to introduce you to my co-host, co-owner of Immersion Research, John Weld, and policy director and Mr. Black Cloud himself, policy director of Outdoor Alliance and Mr. Black Cloud himself, Lewis Geltman. All right, here we go. We're back. What number is this? This is 87. You always get it wrong in the Trello. You've actually never gotten it right. It's all right, though. Yeah. We'll, we'll, let, we'll let it slide. Do you realize when we first started this show, Lewis, you were just kind of basically an office boy at Outdoor Alliance? It's all right. I mean, this Make- is way, <laughs> what was your position before you were policy director? You were like... Uh, I think I was policy counsel. Policy that. Okay. Okay. All right. That sounds pretty high for too. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon. Yeah. Director definitely sounds more boss, but anyway, I was thinking about that earlier today. Um, we got a hell of a show lined up. We've got Ed Gertler to come talk about 
a crazy rule that almost just doesn't make any sense that, to the best of my understanding, goes back something like 90 years that you can't paddle on certain rivers in Montgomery County parks. Am I saying that right? I think so. Montgomery County, yeah. Yeah, this is so ridiculous. I can't even really believe it's real that they won't let you paddle on I mean, so Weld and I are both from Montgomery County, Maryland. And, I mean, what do you – I guess I mean I think it's obviously it's stupid. I'm I'm curious what the practical upshot of this is. Like it's not legal to battle what like Cabin John Creek. That was the the thing I think I saw in the action alert. You know, the, have you, the Crown Jewels of Montgomery County, Seneca, yeah. you're, Northwest you're Branch. Cabin Creek. <laughs> yeah, I found Cabin John Creek. I found Seneca Creek. Found <laughs> some some tiny creek that flooded after like six inches of rain and. 30 minutes through a golf course behind my neighborhood growing up. I think it's Kafka-esque, really. I got yelled at by some golfers for running across the greens, portaging around a low-hanging bridge. <laughs> <laughs> my mom dropped me off. It was cool. <laughs> and were you breaking the law then? I mean, I was trespassing on the golf course. I don't know. The probably. Chips, gangsters. What do? Crew. <laughs> What's that? The Chevy Chase gangsters. Yeah, exactly. You know, we have a lot of gangster working for us now. You know that? Oh, God. Who? One. Which one? Jeremy Nash. Oh, dude, you're in trouble. Oh, he's oh, working said, for I you? you said, yeah, he's working for me. Uh, I thought you said looking for us. I like did. we crossed him somehow. <laughs> I did, too. Yeah. He, might, he, might, he might be part of Team Ween now. I'm not sure. Or maybe, like, uh, do they have, like, a, a plebe? Are you, like, voted in Team Ween? How does that work? Mm, I don't know. I mean, if you had to, like, who would, who, who's a higher ranking team right now? I think Team Ween is kind of like the Weens the or the Gangsters. Crew right now, right? I think the Gangsters. My understanding, and I hate myself for even knowing this, hmm. but as it has been explained to me, is that the Long Creek Gangsters are still the Long Creek Gangsters. Team Weener is those kids from Jackson. Yeah. Or no, sorry, that's Team Scorch, and then the Wiener kids plus the Gangster kids are Team Scorch. Right, right. <laughs> well, team- uh, what a world we live in. I think what? we should get all of a representative from each of those teams on the show and just really have it out. Yeah, I like to do a Jeopardy, like a like a like a like a team like a crew Jeopardy, like this crew. <laughs> Would drink their own urine before running a waterfall. Truth that. <laughs> right? <laughs> this is a true thing. Oh. I think we need more um, I think we need more of that kind of content. Like I think we need to follow up on our hammer factor date lab idea. I think we've we're done with like talking about things and we need some gimmicks. Yeah, we need a few gimmicks. <laughs> Anonymous boat we've got for resurgence too. I actually uh, talked to Anonymous Boat Review guy the other day. He's down to mm. he's down to come back on. He wants to talk about things other than boats, though. All right, which I'm fine with that. I'd like to have Team Ween come on and explain themselves. All right, let's put that in the let's put that in the future schedule. Um, as well, we have a trip report to the Big Fork Whitewater Festival that just happened. Uh, we have composites expert Ryan Bond coming on to explain the finer points of composites. That will probably weave into our conversation about uh, Apex Kayaks. 
that we're going to get into here in just a little bit. So, is it time to have EJ come back on again, or is that is it too soon? I think it's a little too soon. Yeah, you know, I think I, I think some more story needs to develop here. But I just mm. saw some interesting things that I texted over to you um, about mm. the old Apex watercraft. I wonder when the first. Jackson is going to jump ship from Jackson and move over to Apex. Well, how do you think that's going to go down? I think Apex has some money. They need to start making some money before that happens, I think. Time will tell. Um, all right, coming at us with the old trip report from the Big Fork Whitewater Festival. And we'll just go from that right into policy if we can seg that up. Um, Lewis, you went up to Big Fork. What all happened? I did. Yeah. I, I left the gorge, which is a rare occurrence these days. I was like like a squirrel skittering out into the world. Um, but I, I don't know. Have you guys ever been to that race or you like know the race format? Mm-hmm. It's like, so it's on this section of the swan called the Wild Mile, like up uh, Big Fork, Montana, like two hours north of Missoula. Um, and it's a cool it's, format. They it's have like Head Lake or something, right? It, yeah, it like comes like right into Flathead Lake, and it's um, the yeah. format is they have like a it's like I don't know I'd say like easy class four, and they have a slalom race, um, which is like I don't know two minutes, then a downriver race on this like probably seven minute section of whitewater, and then a giant slalom on that same section. And you can race, um, you can race any boat you want as long as it's polyethylene and you have to paddle the same boat for all three events. And it's, it used to be like combined time. And this year they did kind of like a point system. So I, you know, I'm like, I've been out there like a while ago and I kind of had it in my head that there was a particular boat I wanted to race, right? Like it's definitely kind of like boat selection. It's kind of a head scratcher for that, right? So I thought about it, and there's a kayak that we have discussed at length on here in the past that has a Outburst. dedicated society of preservationists <laughs> squirreling them away. <laughs> oh, my God. You know how happy you just made a bunch of people who listen to the show? <laughs> Dude, so I, so I reached out to kind of like, It's kind of like, uh, like the Dogecoin of kayak. The value just went up. <laughs> Mysteriously, like like forty <laughs> percent. Oh, dude. So, <laughs> so I reached out to to Dave Rue of the Strategic Outburst Reserve and made a requisition request, which he accepted. And I've already outburst. There's, you cannot mint any more outbursts on like <laughs> these, these stupid digital assets. This thing is actually worth something. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I traded some messages with Dave, and he he hooked me up with an outburst for the weekend. And um, Darby also got an outburst from uh, we got one from Capo. So we rolled up to this race with this proud secret weapon, and dude, it was sick, man. It's that boat is it's good. Comparing um, first to the skis. Um. It's totally different. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's like 11 feet long, but it's quite easy to turn. Part of that is that it's light, you know, compared to modern 
boats, you know, like the longer you make a boat, the more weight's going to matter. Cause like when you start putting all that weight in the end of the boat, you're starting to get more, um, I don't know what the physics term is, but leverage. Yeah. Or like, it's just it's, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's like reverse centrifugal, <laughs> centrifugal force. I don't know. But like the weight in the ends of the boat matters a lot. Like you can put a lot of weight in the middle of the boat. It doesn't matter. You put a bunch of weight in the ends of the boat. It's part of the turn. And this boat's pretty old and it's like, you know, the stern's small. And so I, um, I was like, all right, all I want to do, I had two goals for this weekend. One was to take this race down for the strategic outburst reserve and a funny story for the hero factor. <laughs> the other was to get up there with Darby with a giant check. <laughs> so Darby and I both won the slalom race and I was like, all right, I'm like capered seed. I'm going to like, I'm going to get this thing done. And then the downriver was you know, the bow is not big in that boat. And so it was like real. I was like, okay, like I'm going to crush in the flats. I'm going to do well in the song. And then I'm just going to be like, like hanging on underwater through the down river race, <laughs> which I did. And I, I came so close, dude. I was, I had a touch in the giant slalom that kept me off the top of the box, but I came second. Nice and, dude. So how did you do um, in the down river part? What was the check for? Uh, I got 750 bucks for a second. Dang, nice. dude, you still got it. <laughs> yeah. <And> some of it. <laughs> uh. um, yeah, and Darbs won convincingly, which was sick. Um, so, yeah, the outburst. It's, uh, it's, it's still a good kayak. Dang, dude. I think it would be, yeah, it was cool. Alec Voorhees won. Congrats to him. Um, would you, is so, like a good enough that you'd think about owning one of these bows? It depends if I, it, I would have to live somewhere where it made more sense, you know, like there's just no way water around here where I'm like really going to paddle that thing, to be honest. I mean, if I, if one crossed my path, it would be really hard for me to not pick one up, but I just, okay. I don't really know where I'd paddle it around here, but it would be like a killer Grand Canyon boat if you had graph support or, um, I don't know, I think it'd be a good bit for the Potomac. Just, like, I'd rather attain in that than, like, a green boat or something. Because at least then when you get up to Rocky or Odak, you have a fun boat to paddle. Nice. Be fun. Yeah. What Darby paddle? Be fun, a Briac boat. Outburst. Nice. God dang, dude. Yeah. You got a picture of that? <laughs> I need a photo of that. That's really sick. You have, like, a dome race while you're, when you're paddling? <laughs> What's that? You have, like, a dome race while you're paddling? A tomer? No, I didn't. That would have been good, though. <laughs> um, <laughs> like a two yeah. Eklund, ninety degree. Dave had this had this beautiful wood paddle that his brother had made. That he was like, "If you want to go for the full full mm. throwback look, you can use this paddle." And I was like, "I I think this is gonna gonna cut against my goal of actually doing well in this race." <laughs> like it was, it was beautiful. What was everybody else paddling? kind of a mixed bag a lot of people in creek boats um some people in scorch x's a few people in long boats um yeah what did alec buy? yeah i mean it's hard he was in the nirvana, nirvana. Hmm. interesting was it well attended was the festival good like how was it it was yeah it was there were a lot of people there for sure like i don't know maybe 100 racers um 
big women's class, which is cool. Um, I feel like they, you know, it's, it's a lot of work to put on a slalom race and those guys seem to be like endlessly plagued by logistical snafus there that kind of, uh, put a bit of a damper on my vibe on things. And I, I really hope that they pull it together one of these years and it all goes off a little smoother, but, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's good people and it's a sick format and gets like in the white water. Nice. Was so, it just delayed start times and things like that or? Oh man, it's no, it was just like, like constant, like the gate judging was, was erratic at best. And, um, yeah, I think some of the timing was off. And then when they went to announce the results of the awards, they tallied up the point totals wrong and like called out all the results erroneously. And like, and it just, it seems like it's kind of, it's kind of par for the course there. It's just a little disappointing. Yeah. It's not easy. <clears throat> well, man, congratulations. That's badass, dude. Thanks, man. I just wanted to, to I just wanted to, to wrap it for the strategic outburst reserve in there. <laughs> Foresight. I'm so glad I've stashed away six or seven of those because now I'm going to sell them after this show. <laughs> oh, dude, there are a lot of people there who are like, what's that boat? It's from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> that came before the 2000s. <laughs> oh, well, what's new in your world? Me? Yeah. Is it, how's your shoulder? Are you, are you doing anything fun yet? Or No. Not really. It's got a, got a couple more months before anything fun give, even begin. Man, I look like I'm 12. Like my arms are seriously, they are in sorry shape right now. Um, that's going to take months to, to get that under control. But Did you see you get the, the bicep tenodesis too? Yeah. Wait, so what's that? You can't do anything with your, you can't do anything for a while. They stapled my bicep to my arm basically because it got kind of removed. Oh, yeah, I did that. I had that done on my last go around too, and then I blew the repair out. How'd you do that? Knocking the back of a chair back in. <laughs> did you feel it when it went out? Oh yeah. Because I went for a hike way too early up a really thing that was way too steep, which I had no business doing, and I slid and fell on my ass, and uh, shoved my arm, my bad arm, back up behind me when I landed. I thought for sure I'd screw something up, but it seemed to be okay. So I don't know. I'm going to let it go. Yeah. I mean, I guess when I did that, they also do like the tenotomy where they just like cut and release it. And Brent's advice to me was to like get the tenodesis, but then like rehab it aggressively. And if the repair blows out, don't worry about it too much. And that was what I did. And the repair blew out. Hmm. Uh, Stuff makes me crazy. So, we, did we talk about did we talk about buying gear for twenty twenty four? Did we talk about that? Not with me. I'm gonna tell the listeners to buy gear for twenty twenty. Do your gear buying now. That'd be my 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 pro tip right there. Like, what's gonna happen? It's gonna be expensive. You, you guys are some sticker shock, and I, I'm not saying just paddling gear. I'd say it's probably with everything, like bikes or anything like that. That'd be my advice. Mm. So what makes you say this? Um, well, we're dealing with 2024 right now in terms of production, and I see the way things are going. And stuff's not, I don't think stuff's going to be super cheap unless something crazy happens. Huh. Yeah. 
like it could be shockingly expensive. Like what's the sticker going to be on a dry suit? I hate to say this because I don't want to go on record here, but that's kind of what we do. <laughs> you, 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 you make worse mistakes than buying buying your gear right now. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I like I containers now cost about twenty some thousand dollars to get across the Pacific, and they used to be pre-pandemic. It was like eight grand, you know, so. And we're getting like price increases like weekly right now from our from our suppliers. So, oh god, yeah. Oh, oh! I didn't know you guys were hiding. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that! See that even worked. I, I I'm I'm assuming you're Ed, right? <laughs> yes, uh, yes, I am. <laughs> uh, well, Ed Gertler, welcome to the Hammer Factor. Thanks for coming on. Oh yeah, you're not on. on uh, you're not broadcasting yet, right? No, we're we're recording right now. <laughs> but your timing's perfect. Your timing's perfect. We were getting into some gloomy news about how much paddle sports gear is getting ready to cost everybody. So this is a good pivot. Yeah, enough of that. Oh, good. I don't want to hear any more gloomy news. either. <laughs> well, this this is cool. I, I mean, well, Lewis, I I don't think I've seen since he was a kid. I. It's just about right. I I have uh, I can visualize you in my mind's eye right now, like cruising up the Potomac in a in a Han or <laughs> something along those lines. <laughs> I mean, Nothing's you know, changed. I mean, Ed, you've been paddling <laughs> right, probably not as long as I have, but pretty close, I would imagine. What year did you start kayaking or sea wanting? <laughs> uh, well, I started paddling white water in '62. '62. Yeah, and switched to a C1 in '67. Just you looked at the C1, you're like, that makes a lot of sense to me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, I don't know if you know Jim Holcomb. You maybe you know Andrew Holcomb, his yeah, his dad, right? Uh, Andrew's dad, but uh, Jimmy's brother was a very persistent salesman and told me I was a nobody paddling a 17 foot Grumman. So right. I better switch. Yeah. Somebody, so. I mean, back then, C1s were kind of a thing back then, you know? There were, like, it just seems like a lot more C1s back then than there are now, for sure. Oh, yeah. Canoes in general. Yeah. And so you were you were learning, you were paddling in what area? Like Pennsylvania, right? You're kind of from the Mid-Atlantic area? Well, uh, I'm a native of Silver Spring and paddle locally. And uh, as soon as I get on my own, I chafed. I had to see the rest of the world. Right. Now, were you paddling? Like, I'm thinking like Wallbridge is probably your contemporary, that crew. Yeah. Yeah. He's actually, I think I've got him beat. In fact, uh, he's, he credits me with showing him down on his first Gauley run. So. What year was that? 70 or 71. Was that like, that was probably right around the first years that, that river was being run, huh? Like what? Yeah, I think 68 was the first hard boat run. And, then, and who was on that, who was on that trip? It was Jimmy Holcomb, Norm Holcomb, Jack Wright, um, uh, some European guy who I'd never met, and um, I'm forgetting somebody else. <laughs> and then was McEwen part of your crew? I'm trying to think. Like I'm trying to picture you guys as a crew. Like we have crews today. You're kind of like making trouble. <laughs> 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 and he was the, the, the block back then. 
<laughs> yeah, because I was with Jamie on his first run down the new, and yeah. we thought he was getting a bit uppity, so we didn't tell him about the big hole in Surprise Rapid. Yeah. Sent him down the middle and watch him get crashed. <laughs> Some things never change in Whitewater. <laughs> and then Upper Yock, when did when did you guys first start doing that? You were like what years were did you run that river? When like what was the first descent on that river? Well, I didn't start until like seventy one or something like that on the Upper Yock, but uh Jim Stewart had been running it a whole lot. And of course I think the first people down were doing it in Grumman's, like Bill Bickham, John Sweet. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty badass running the upper yacht in a Grumman. I, I, mean, you gotta, I mean, you need a lot of airbags or something. I don't know. Yeah, we didn't do airbags back in those days. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> you just wrap the boat on a rock and hike out. I mean, what was that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it never occurred to us. Uh, the Grumman came with a chunk of foam in the bow and stern compartments, and we just thought that's the way life was meant to be. <laughs> So there's a there's a guy. God, I'm forgetting his name, but uh, he was really into history, and uh, he interviewed a bunch of people and did a bunch of short videos about early upper yak running. Was this recently yeah, or a while back? Uh, who was this recently or a while back? A couple of years ago. A couple of years ago. Okay. This is, is Chris Preparado. Is that his yes, name? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I saw those. Those were really well done. It's cool. Yeah. Thank goodness for people like that, or Ken Ford doing his documentary. But at some point, you you've seen a kayak, right, with the two blades. You've seen it. <laughs> but you didn't, you didn't want to get in front of those. You didn't seem easy or more comfortable. I'm not sure. Yeah, about. yeah. I mean, I learned in a canoe, and it just feel I felt good on my knees. I'm scared to death in a kayak. <laughs> huh. All right, and then I'm thinking about getting a pack raft. Though. <laughs> I want a pack raft. Yeah, and then you still you still have a Han. I mean, where do you get these things? I mean, how how do you pick up a new Han nowadays? <laughs> well, back in the day when the Han was hot, Dave Demery was making uh, boats for a living. Mm. He built Jamie's uh, bronze metal boat, and so he had the mold. Actually, I helped him pirate it. I didn't know I was breaking the law. I had rented the mold fair and square and lent it to him. He made a plug and gave it back to me. And so I'm probably a wanted man right now. Yeah. I have access to the mold for the last 50 years. I think, if I'm mistaken, I think I made you a Han at one point at Valley Mill. You you did. You and Andy did. Yeah. And uh, um, currently, uh, Paul... Um, Schreiner. Schreiner. Paul Schreiner uh, has been my boat builder. Yeah. He's got the mold. You have well, the mold or he's got the mold? Well, uh, um, <laughs> I consider it mine. Actually, Dave said he wouldn't mind having it back. I don't know why. <laughs> you should set up an NFT for that mold. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so right now you're you're involved with the CCA. I mean, I know I just did a presentation for you guys. So you, you're, I mean, you're kind of the cruise director. I mean, what's what's your title there? The, the cruise <laughs> program director. Program director. So I get right. all sorts of spam coming in there, thinking that I'm somebody important. But I just schedule a talent like you uh, yeah. to give programs. <laughs> yeah. What's the CCA? Canoe Cruisers Association of Greater Washington. Oh, okay. Sweet. Paddling club up there. 
Yeah, a, yeah, we're a long-standing club. I mean, we turned out such greats as uh, John Weld and Lewis Geldman. I I don't know if uh, Lewis, you were ever a member, but you, oh, I was. I remember getting the the CCA newsletter in the mail when I was a kid. You know, I mean, just you know, pre-internet, like any piece of kayaking-related content, you just pour over that thing. You know, yeah. <laughs> just, just like print it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it comes with like, the excitement of the CCA okay. newsletter coming for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I, it was it was a valuable piece of mail back when it came. So and how many people are? I remember. I seem to remember it being like two thousand members in the canoe club back in the day when I was a kid. I mean, it was a what real robust organization. Yeah, I don't know where are you guys at right now. <laughs> well, I, I think we have about three hundred memberships, and so you can maybe expand the m- a number a bit, saying some are families. Yeah, but no clubs are passe, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, honestly, I mean, I think when you look at the at the canoe cruisers of like the the '60s and '70s or the in the '70s, they kind of created maybe the the biggest, most accomplished generation of paddlers. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, that was the ecosystem in which the sport grew. Really, you know, we've never really grown out out of that. I, when you look at the growth of the '90s, where the sport exploded, those were all kids of canoe club people. You know? Yeah, I mean. Uh... Davy and Kathy and John Lugbill were the 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 sibling. I mean, uh, the kids of uh, paddlers that belonged to the club, right? And uh, uh, one of the earliest trips I was going to go on was led by Tom McEwen, who rejected me. He rejected you. <laughs> yeah, I told him my experience. He says you're not good enough. This is like the South Fork of the Shenandoah. Too I organized. Talk to him. The problem. <laughs> Well, you can call him out here if you want to. <laughs> I have to say, my dad listens to the show, and he was chairman of Minoxi Canoe Club, and and uh, he's going to say that Minoxi Canoe Club was really where I got my start. So I have to, I have to cover my bases. Here. Stay true. Rivalry. I was in the Sea Cats, which is before your time, Gelman. Was kind of the 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 kids slalom organization of the of the early eighties. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it sort of lived on, and I, we, you know, Jim Stewart and Steve Draper would run like small workouts down on the feeder canal when I was a kid. And I'm, I'm not entirely sure if it was under those auspices or if they were just sort of carrying it on on their own. But we were uh, definitely in the lineage, I think. That was all the pre-Endicott world. Uh, May McEwen, Tom's mother, was the initial coach. Then right. Tape Shields, uh, Whitney Shields' father. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a coach for a while, and then Draper did that stuff. So, hmm. by the way, That's I got to object. Uh, uh, this is an honor to meet you, John Grace, also, because I follow everything that goes on in the sport. So, uh, <laughs> I, I watch paddle porn. And <laughs> well, you know, I was about to. The connection I wanted to make here is I, Grace. Did you do? Um, did you run the Petite Macatna or the Mecatina? I'm not sure how you say it. It's Petite Macatna, yeah. Because oh. I remember one of the last times Ed, you and I spoke, my buddy Kurt and I had read an old trip report of yours from a trip up there talking about the Petite Macatna. You went these, up there, Ed? Like, Harrington Harbor? That whole zone? Yeah, we did it before you guys did, but did a lot more portaging. <laughs> how on earth did you portage that first gorge? Um... We we uh, we we ran and portaged down to with a big trout, and then spent seven days trying to figure out how to 
portage around big trout. Oh God. <laughs> it's, it's a story. It is a story. I actually, we may just derail this whole show and talk about the Pequite with Katna because that is an all, I mean, that's a logistically challenging trip. I mean, obviously you guys flew into the put in and then, Way and then how many days did it take you to get down to Harrington Harbor? I have to check my notes. I, I, I think it was a three week trip. Three weeks. Wow. I remember getting to that first gorge and I've, came across your guys's trip report somewhere oh i'm putting this together now and uh and i remember you guys portaged on river left didn't you uh we portaged on river right we we explored a little left no uh, it was a comedy of errors uh, we uh, we thought we could just go up out of the gorge and walk along the rim and that didn't work and then we went up a side stream and took a wider route and this is a condensed version. Believe me, there's so much more to it. Yeah. And then last thing before we get on this, I don't want to get too off the rails here. Did you take the right channel at the end or the left channel? Um, where are you talking about? Where the river goes like into the ocean, like where it ends. Oh, there. We took the right channel. You took the right channel. Okay. Yeah, we took the left channel on that one. So. Well, I got to ask you, though, quick, before we do go off... Um, did you guys do any video of this? Because I would just love to see you guys in action. Oh, I got you. I got you, Ed. Let me write this down. As soon as we get off here, I'll send you a link. Oh, I would so appreciate it. Unfortunately, uh, one of the key members of our group passed away at last year, and he would love to have seen that. Ah, well, I definitely have. I've got a lot of really good footage of that. That was a great trip. Like, that was incredibly i know it was like super robust for you guys in canoes and whatever but it was amazingly right on the edge of runnable like it was it was really really good whitewater some of the best like 15 20,000 cfs whitewater i've ever paddled <laughs> so did you get buzzed by any royal air force uh, jets while going through the canyon uh no we didn't we didn't experience that we experienced some pr a crazy ferry trip out of Harrington Harbor where I swear to God I thought we were going to sink in the boat. <laughs> we came out of there and the captain was literally yelling at everybody, "Get on the boat! We gotta go! We gotta go!" And like so, like everybody's getting on there. I don't know if it was the same ferry boat, but there's like a big cargo ship, whatever containers all in the back in one place yeah. where they put everybody, like in a, like yeah. almost like a movie theater. Uh -huh. And we get out of the out of the harbor and just go right around the first corner. And maybe I'm exaggerating, but I think we were in like 30 or 40 foot waves. Like <laughs> waves are going over the boat. And it's not 60 seconds when we come around that corner. Everybody in the whole place starts throwing up. And I've never <laughs> been in an experience where literally puke was coming at me from all sides, you know, and like it was, and you couldn't go outside. So we were all locked in there, just vomiting on each other. It was, that was, that was a great trip, man. That's awesome that you guys went up there. Whose idea was that to take canoes up there? Well, um, uh, it was, it was, uh, three, what was it? Um, I was the only C1. Everybody else were open solo canoes. And uh, what was it? Uh, three or four open canoes and, and me. That's and, uh, smart then, doesn't it? <laughs> That's a soft yeah. context. Well, they abandoned two canoes. Uh, when, we, when we were, they were obsessed with getting out and catching the ferry. I couldn't care less. 
I, I packed enough food that I was good for another week on the river. <laughs> well, the ferry and, only uh, comes one day a week. Oh, I yeah, know, that's right, yeah. They were, we were working to starve in Harrington Harbor. And so they, the, the expedite getting out, they abandoned two canoes, put them high up on the cliff, tied them up, and whoever wanted them, and doubled up in 15-foot, like, Mohawk-type boats or something like that, and did everything else the rest of the way. But the idea, we read an article in Canoe Magazine, and that's all we had. We had a stupid article. <laughs> oh, that's burly. That is, I, I got to give props to you guys for doing that one. <laughs> yeah, we weren't amateurs. I mean, everybody on the trip had been on numerous northern expeditions, and we were like doofuses. <laughs> yeah, but like to a river like the, the Romaine or the Magpie or something like that, they're not even comparable. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, that's bad. So I'm glad to, I'm glad to have shared it with you. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I forgot what we were talking about. Um, Let's talk railway water, Seneca Creek, which goes into the Potomac. <laughs> <laughs> and then here, that's why I was invited in a way. <laughs> what heck is going on with with Montgomery County and these rivers? I mean, it sounds Kafka-esque. What's going on here? I mean, this came to my attention through an AW email. And when I read it, it didn't even make sense. I was like, eh, is that real? You know, is, there's really, I mean, what's going on? Well, I think, uh, I think we're the nanny state down here. <laughs> uh, and I don't normally say stuff like that. Um, uh, we welcome uh, that. Okay. <laughs> I thought I could check it out right now. I've said it to so many people, but, um, uh, First of all, for anyone who is listening, um, Montgomery County is a northern suburb of Washington, D.C. D.C. area is now, depending how you define it, about six million people. And two Maryland counties uh, border on D.C. in total over two million people. And even though they're separate, they're bound under the same park regulations. These regulations were conjured up in the 1930s and they haven't changed. I don't believe a word. And they basically say that uh, no launching from our parks or no paddling on streams in our parks without prior authorization from a permit. And there is no permit, never has been. Uh, <laughs> That's easy. <laughs> yeah, and most people don't know about this. Uh, I gotta remember that one. Yeah, <laughs> well actually it's not, it's probably not rare, 50 years ago or something, uh, Rock, Rock Creek Park in D.C. had a reg very similar. But we were able to just go, uh, me personally, go to the superintendent of the parks, talk about the problem, and we worked it out, and eventually paddling became legal. But here in Montgomery County, they're adamant that there is danger in what we are doing, and there's going to be some bad outcome, either, I guess, the park's director is going to get in trouble or um, or they're going to get in trouble rescuing us. Oh. So. And, and just to be clear, like, I mean, I think there's probably nothing harder than class two in the, the series we're talking about here. Well, mostly you're correct, but there is the famous Colesville Crusher. We are, <laughs> oh, right. We I forgot about the Colesville Crusher. <laughs> For anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, <laughs> Google Bobby Miller or the Zone Dog in Northwest Branch, and you can find his video, complete, complete with rock music. So can you 
take an inner tube out on these creeks? Can you do anything? Can you go fishing on them? Can you do anything? Can you go well, swimming? You can fish. I, I, I'm not so sure that Eberman's officially allowed to wade in the creek, but everybody does. But but uh, paddling's a no-no. Now, the reality on the ground is that most people do it without knowing it, and then there are people like me that know it and do it anyway. And generally, we don't get caught because most of the streams are kind of out of sight. Uh, but if you were paddling a few that have roads along them, you might be more visible. And I know of one person who very got ejected, humiliated in front of his wife and threatened with arrest and stuff like that. But I just got lectured because they always caught me after I was finishing. So what do they what, what's what happens to you if you're paddling on these rivers? Do they confiscate your gear? I mean, what's their, <laughs> I mean, what's the repercussions for this? A verbal lashing? Like, what do they do? Yeah, the, the worst, the most likely thing is that your trip will be interrupted. Uh, uh, it's a civil violation, technically. So, you know, they might issue a citation. You could get a fine. And and their reason for having this is it's for your own good. We're helping, uh, we're protecting you. That's the reason they're doing it. Okay, well, we had great difficulty in talking to them. I've, I've actually been working on this project for over 15 years, going through three <laughs> generations of park directors. And the third one has not been disposed to talk to us. So I got a, a, a council member to lean on him, and then he at least talked to us. And uh, basically, we did a presentation. Uh, we had the help of Kevin Coburn at AW and some, uh, Risa Shimoda, Mac Thornton, uh, we talked to them, gave a presentation, and uh, they used to be concerned about liability. They didn't bring that up. Um, they're convinced that a, an impressionable young Yahoo is going to see what we're doing and go out and try to emulate us and get in trouble. And they're concerned that their staff is going to have to go out and provide uh, perform a rescue of us. I think it's that so, pretty much covers they know Great Falls is right nearby? I mean, they've seen that, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Great Falls is what? We're talking 20 miles from here? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, probably the silliest thing is Seneca Creek that John Well brought up. Seneca Creek's a class one stream, a lot of wood. Um, uh, the uh, director in his explanation said um, there's hazardous obstacles in these streams. The water quality is terrible. Um, I forgot what else. But all of these conditions are in Seneca Creek, but Seneca Creek's in Seneca Creek State Park. The Maryland DNR has no objections to us paddling streams in their state parks, including the extreme race on the top yak. So, uh, uh, but if you uh, start above Seneca Creek State Park, uh, you stand the possibility of having a park policeman throw you off. So what do we do about this? This is like just full on <laughs> Swamp encroachment here. I mean, <laughs> well, we're, I'm not a veteran activist, and none of us are, or at least not in this sort of thing. And we're floundering around. Uh, what would really be great is we could find some paddler who actually knows someone who knows somebody to get their ear because we've had a trouble just people having these people return our, our emails or letters. Right now, we're doing a letter writing campaign, try to get their attention and trying particularly to get the attention of the council member whose district covers the Potomac, since there's lots of paddlers down there. But uh, we have a strange government structure here. The, uh, the, uh, the parks, um, the Department of Parks is not 
in the chain of command from the uh, county executive. Instead, it's a subdivision of the, what's called the Montgomery County Planning Board. And, and so the, um, the county council, they, they, they appropriate the money, but they don't really have direct uh, action on the parks or influence necessarily. So we're not even sure if we're barking up the right tree, but it always helps to have it, a politician on your side. Jeez, I don't even know where to even. Lewis, where do we start on this? I don't know. Media I have, I have like no local government experience. I mean, I would say go right to the top, like find the. I mean, you got to be able to get a meeting with like the county executive or someone like that. You'd think. I don't know. No, it's. it's uh, I don't know. But we do encourage if there's anyone listening to this that lives in this area, to write to email. Uh, the more people that are out there getting their attention, the more annoying we are. Maybe they'll do something to get us to go away. Is there a form or a place that we can send people to engage with this? Well, AW's blast that you referred to is probably the best resource. They make it easy for this sort of stuff. Okay, I have a link to that. I'll put that in the show notes if you're listening. Do you remember years ago, this is going back a long time, but Billy Hearn, Eric Martin, and I put on... on John Creek it floated into the Potomac at flood stage and we weren't supposed to be there we went out surfing Brookmont Dam and uh, canal or G- canal road was closed and the park police came running out and we were out there surfing Brookmont the wave there at the, at the dam and the park police were on the bank yelling at us to come in and we're all kind of looking at each other like I don't think we want to paddle over the bank <laughs> <laughs> and they're getting more and more angry like they're getting furious and unbeknownst, <laughs> Davy Hearn was going to put on at the same time. He was going to meet us out there. And so after five or ten minutes, we're surfing. You can sit on this wave indefinitely. So we're just sitting on this wave. And meanwhile, there's more and more police gathering on the on the bank there. And they have the bullhorns. And now the helicopter's above our head. <laughs> and we're just talking. And we're like, do we are we not are we just not going to listen? <laughs> and finally, we said we're just not going to listen. And so the helicopter disappears for a second, and we peel out and we go down to one of those islands below the dam. And we hide on one of those islands. We cover ourselves in leaves because now the helicopter's back. It's in the fall, right? And there's no leaves in the trees. And at this point, Dave puts on a cabin, John Creek, and paddles down, gets on the wave. There's all the cops there who are furious. <laughs> you got him worked into a frenzy. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm right over. <laughs> and they drag him out of his boat by his helmet and his life jacket. And the Washington Post is there. And gets, or someone takes a picture. And it's on the front page of the Washington Post the next day. Uh, and the police basically, I mean, they, they, they rough them up, you know, yeah. <laughs> they don't put two and two together, but, uh, we were still hiding on the Island and, uh, the helicopter's back is looking for us. And so we, we finally, the helicopter disappears. We ferry over to the bank and you know, those little spiral walkway bridges. Yeah. We start walking up those to Brookmont where we lived and a cop was on the road, saw us, came ripping down uh canal road and started running after us we ran into brookmont and what there's by now there was police everywhere and there's helicopters everywhere and people coming <laughs> out of brookmont like out of their house to see what the hell's going on and they see us three running up with our kayak <laughs> this, this, this couple waves us into their house they're like come here <laughs> are you serious <laughs> went into their basement and we're looking out the window of the basement and all these cops pulling up and you can see the couple and they're shaking their heads they're holding their hands <laughs> <laughs> but I think part of the problem is we put on Cabin John Creek, which was kind of a no, a, a no, like a, a no, no. If I remember, yeah. I'm 
Davey getting in trouble for that. As I thought it was the opposite. I thought Davey got out of the ticket because he had come from Cabin John Creek and the the park police like didn't have jurisdiction there or something. Like he had never set foot on any in any like jurisdictional area or something like that. Because he well, ultimately I, got it all dismissed. Yeah. I think the story is that they didn't have any jurisdiction over what's going on in the river. So I think you in a way you're right, uh Lewis, is the uh by putting it on Cabin John Creek, you you've never launched from National Park land. There was news footage of this, wasn't there? Wasn't he on the news? And there was there was there was like video footage of him getting drug out of his boat quite aggressively. Yeah, I, I remember seeing that. <laughs> yeah. And actually, actually, wasn't that a year he was supposed to go to the Worlds or the Olympics? I think they injured him, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, it was something. <laughs> oh God! But I didn't know you were involved too. I thought he was just went on out there solo paddling and surfing. Yeah, we were the opening act. We kind of got the police pumped up. <laughs> <laughs> You're forgotten by history. Yeah. Well, you should have been arrested just putting in on Cabotan Creek. Right. Yeah. Well, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> <laughs> Ed, anyway, yeah. And before we let you go, what's new at the CCA these days? What's new? <laughs> you got any big big club trips planned? Anything like that? Well, I think the main thing is that we're relatively thriving uh, for for our club in this era. I think COVID helped us, and we're trying to attract uh, these people in wreck boats and keep ourselves alive because. Uh, I've always said the reason for the club is so we can do advocacy like we're doing right now. You, know, you can't get that from a meetup. So. That's true. Right. I kind of feel a little resurgence of clubs going on right now. Like There's a local club here in Asheville that's really blossomed up to over 100 mm. members. And there's uh, the Bluegrass Whitewater Association club has really gotten big. And uh, I don't know. I mean, it may be, it may be time for the club to kind of make a comeback well some are thriving like three Rivers paddling club keel haulers they're still doing good by the way i was down in your neighborhood all last week as the rivers came up and flooded oh yeah we had a big rain what was going on down here well we went down uh we we paddled the nala chucky big laurel and pigeon and then things got too high for us <laughs> nice did you get on any i i got to the nolly one day after that rain did you get to paddle it yeah, we got it after the first rain, so it went up from like 700 to about 1300, and then it went up more, more, more. <laughs> yeah, it got up to like 18,000 there for a while. Oh, God. <clears throat> yeah, it was pretty impressive. Yeah, that's my rave at the end of the show is the no lift junkie. I feel like every third show I rave around about that river. <clears throat> it's, it's a beautiful place. Well, I don't know. It seems just fully ridiculous to. I mean, I don't know how you just bust through this bureaucracy, not only on just paddling in Montgomery County. I don't know anything about the whitewater up there or whatnot, but this came across and I was like, what, they have, you have to get a permit, but they don't have a way to issue a permit? You know, is that no. real? <laughs> you know, and so I guess it is. So there you go. And it, it may be our fallback position if we get anywhere, but we really don't want a permit. Uh, I have a personal bias because I go around and sneak in everybody's neighborhood sooner or later and, I'd hate to think that somebody like me comes down to D.C. and they can't get on these things because there's no way they would have a permit ahead of time. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, for sure. 
I want to keep rivers free. <laughs> yeah. We're here. As they should be. Well, Ed, I appreciate you coming on and sharing a little bit about this. I'll make sure I put the um, AW link there in the show notes. And is there anything else you'd like to add before we let you run here? No, thanks. I, I appreciate you giving me uh, us a voice right here. And uh, when I take a look at all your past shows and see the people who have been on them, man, I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> You've earned your spot. You've done okay for yourself. <laughs> yeah, we're honored to have you. <laughs> uh, that's great. Keep yeah, up your means, work. You have, an, you have a pair of shorts named after you. We named a pair of shorts the Girdlers, which is actually one of my favorite product names. That and the wall bridges. We have a wall bridge short too. So I don't want to. <laughs> Two of the dorkiest guys on the river. <laughs> oh, man. And we may have to have you come back on one time for a first descent yeah. story episode and just hear about this McCatna trip for like two hours because I would love to hear. I mean, did you guys just have meltdown? I don't want to get into it, but. You had to have had some meltdowns up there. I mean, the bush is so thick <laughs> up in that place. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> no, it, it's amazing. It was a pretty mature group. Uh, I mean, just uh, psychologically, not age. <laughs> but but um, uh, we, I think we maybe got a little tense maybe on the fifth day of the uh, portage. But outside of that, <laughs> we got along. We knew we had to. Oh, God. Anybody get any Don't bug bites? <laughs> <laughs> nice thing about it is no matter how bad you look back on it and say, God, it was a great trip. <laughs> uh, truth to that. Yeah, truth my that. partner says when I uh, got back for about a week, my I was mysteriously like, twitching in bed, my feet, you know, from the strata, from the trauma of all those portages. <laughs> Uh, well, good on you, and thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks. Oh, you're, quite, you're quite yeah, welcome. Thank you. It's great to see you. Good to see you. Well, oh, man. I'm trying to track down Ryan Bond here. Yeah, we, we we don't have a Ryan Bond, as far as I can tell, even though we've been talking about Ryan Bond coming on the show for a while. Just let me handle yeah, I'm gonna call his wife. <laughs> God, I did not put two and two together that that was Ed on that trip oh, up okay. to the Macadna. Okay, he's ready. Man. Yeah, like growing up, I knew like Ed was part of that crew doing all the you know the Gali and Epriac and the New and all these things you know early on. Cool guy, dude. It's a burly trip up there. <laughs> like it's not an open boat trip by any means. Like, no. <laughs> I mean, can, first of all, can you imagine running the upper golly in a, in a Grumman or the upper yacht? I mean, even <laughs> ludicrous, you know, I mean, not just an open boat. I mean, a Grumman, you know, which has, it, it, you know, the gulls are like four inches off the water. Oh, man. I can, I can just like hear the sound of Grumman hitting a rock, <laughs> like in my, my head right now. You know, like, right. like fingernails on a chalkboard. Oh man, Lewis, do we want to do a policy thing before we get Ryan on? Or I mean, uh, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? I'm trying to remember when, when we when we left off on the last time we were. Well, I mean, chatting about this stuff. I I kind of want to know what's going to happen. You guys are going to go up to DC next week, board meeting, right? 
this week? Uh, we're going to California. We're going to uh, Surfrider's headquarters. We good. Okay. I'm actually I'm kind of stoked for it. It's um, I don't know. It's like the first time we've all gotten together in a couple of years now, and we're gonna go go surfing with the Surfrider guys and go ride bikes and be good. Nice. So, what are you gonna discuss there? What's the hot item? It's not really like that at the board meeting, you know? It's more like organizational and long-looking. Hooters. Hooters. <laughs> Hooters. Surf. <yeah>. Hooters. <laughs> Give us something. Come on. We need some activation here. Uh, man. I'm just I'm trying to remember the last time we recorded what we talked about. Um, I mean, we're still hoping to... to keep the dream alive on, on passing a bunch of climate investments through reconciliation. The conversation is still happening. It's not dead yet. Um, trying to, to rally together some, some West Virginia folks, including some, some people from um, like friends of the cheat and uh, our buddy, Corey Lilly. Um, just like a bunch of folks like kind of working on like recreation based economic development, in West Virginia to, um, I don't know, like, like, give some some authentic local leaning on Joe Manchin. Um, been working on that a bunch. We just had this huge recreation policy bill pass out of the uh, Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee that we're kind of hoping could potentially get rolled up with a bunch of protected designation bills and passed by the end of the Congress. I think there's, you know, a deal to be had there, but I don't know how much shit we're gonna have to eat to make it happen um but hopeful dream's definitely alive there um i mean i feel like those are kind of the two top things for the rest of the year one just yeah trying to get reconciliation done and two um trying to get a big a big lands and recreation policy package done by the end of the year so it's kind of kind of where my head's been is this recreation policy part of like recreation not red tape it's so the recreation not red tape is part of it um or like parts of it are they kind of uh took a bunch of bills that we've been working on for a long time including recreation not red tape and the store act which is about kind of uh reforming the special use permitting system and then the committee just kind of pulled all these bills apart and then put them all back together again in this new thing called america's outdoor recreation act and some of the pieces that you know came from r and r and came from soar are really good and then there's some other stuff in there that i you know we don't love like there's some pilot programs for essentially like privatization of campgrounds on national forest land. That's kind of, kind of shitty. There's, um, some language in there mandating a, a shooting range on every national forest, which it's kind of, um, you know, like having a shooting range is not a bad thing. Like if that kind of, cons- kind of, uh, consolidates, shooting activity into like one manageable location but like mandating that there be one is kind of a i don't know it seems like kind of a one-size-fits-all unnecessary approach and then most problematic of all is this requirement that um that the forest service basically not not implement any closures like shooting closures or they should try not to implement any shooting closures until they've put in place a shooting range and there are places where like 
shooting is a legitimate safety hazard. Like Tom O'Keefe keeps bringing up this this uh, issue down the Clackamas where there's people like shooting across the river, basically. Um, and this is just going to make like closing these kind of places to shooting like harder. Um, and also, there's a requirement. There's no fees associated with these shooting ranges that are required to put in place. So, like, you know, you have to pay for all sorts of uses of public lands. And then there's this, like, one use that doesn't have to pay and is also going to lead to all of these, like, lead us clean up costs. And it's just kind of, it's just kind of shitty, you know? I mean, is that something that, like, we could live with in exchange for getting some good stuff done? Like, yeah, probably. But it's, it's kind of a mixed bag. Huh. I wonder if that came through, if it would ever really get used. I don't really know how it would all play out. I mean, I don't know. Fascinating world you live in there, Lewis. Trying to get things done. Yeah, it's a party. Yeah. Ryan's getting his microphone ready, so he'll be with in a sec. Um, does he have the link? Did you send him the link? Mm-hmm. Did I mention it? So he should just pop up just like Ed did. How about that system, guys? He just popped right <laughs> in, dude. It's right on time. <laughs> Normally, I have to fumble around for 15 minutes trying to get somebody on the show, and there's Ed. Man, Ed Gertler, what a legend. Seriously. So, can we talk a little bit about Apex while we're waiting for Ryan to come on the show? Uh-huh. EJ's company. I don't know why you guys find this so fascinating. Well. <sighs> Yeah, why do we find this so fascinating? I have, I have my reasons why. Let's hear them. Uh, EG, well, I'm in the business, and I, I just find Pal Sports business to be interesting. Um, EJ, you know, we, we used to sponsor EJ back in the day, and he was always quick to give me very pointed advice on how to run our business, you know, and talking about how we should and shouldn't do things. Um, and so I feel like Apex is an opportunity for him, you know, not to be, to start over again. You know what I mean? I mean, he, presumably he, he'd learned some lessons at Jackson and, uh, you, you know, he's going to uh, implement these things in Apex. Uh, so I, I'd love to see this. I, I just want to see how this plays out, you know. Can we go over that email that you sent to me? Uh, which which one? That kind of outlined the looking for investment and that kind of thing. He he said, "Well, it wasn't. It was an Instagram post, which is always. I mean, I I, I I'd love to have EJ's take on this, but he he was looking for investors on Instagram, right? Uh, you know, people to invest." Um, in, in a violation of securities law. Well, I just don't understand why you'd be soliciting too much strangers to invest in your business. It's like, I, I mean, I'd love to see that and, pitch deck. And, and you know, we're, we're, when he left Jackson, he was t- starting Apex. We asked him, he came on the show. We asked him about getting equity partners because, you know, I, 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 I think that kind of got, you know, w- one of the reasons why things happened at Jackson is because, you know, his equity arrangement there. And then he was—he didn't seem very interested at all in getting equity partners when we started. You know, um, I don't know. I—I <sighs> I find it. I mean, in- it's—I mean, it's like surely, like it's like he didn't want equity partners, and then he realized he needed them, and then here we are, 
Like, I mean, he's, I mean, to me, it's like, it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to risk if, I don't know. I want to, I don't want to come across as a jerk here. I really do want EJ to succeed. I mean, he's been around forever and his, and his tenure Jackson, you know, he like it or not, he did a lot of great stuff for the industry, you know, making all those boats that he did. Maybe not the smartest business decision, but um, I, I just don't. I I I really don't understand how you know, like what what the th- what the thought process is here in terms of making composite whitewater boats and really expensive composite fishing boats. I, I want someone like Ryan to set me straight on this one. Yeah, I'm really interested to hear about. And we talked about this when we when we had EJ on is. Uh, my take was always like, why? Well, if you're going to make these fishing boats, if you're going to make a composite, a carbon manufacturing boat company, why not do the whitewater thing first? You know, this is what you know. This is where you have reach. This is where you have influence and whatever. And then, but it started. But I don't know there's a market for composite whitewater boats to, to run a business. I mean, that's a hobby size thing, you know, yeah, I think. But I mean, EJ sold 20 fishing kayaks. So what's more hobby? How do you have 20 fishing kayaks? Because he said in the email it said that. That I read. That he's he's finally delivered his 20 boats and whatnot. I mean, we can bring him on to say that. But I, I think that he's made 20 of the Tyree Apex fishing boats. Total. I mean, to me, the thing that's interesting is like, like what I'm interested in is seeing like the advancement of the composites technology that's being used to build whitewater boats and like that playboat, you know, I mean, he sort of showed the whole process that he was pursuing to like create this thing on, on social media and he like glued a Nalo, which is, you know, to like do all the work there. And they're, you know, they're just like a normal composite. I mean, they make small boats, they make surf skis. I don't know what else they make, but like, I don't think there's anything going on over there, like groundbreaking technology wise. Like, it's just another composite boat, you know, and like that, that, uh, that play boat, like, I'm sure it's fine, but like, I don't think there's any reason to think that it's anything better than, you know, a Guiri boat or a, a, a featherweight or, you know, anybody else building composite play boats. It's just, you know, like another kind of like run of the mill European composite boat manufacturer building another playboat. And it's just like, I just, know. the way to, I mean, it's like, I guess like what I was, I mean, it seemed like when he was really like going all in on the fishing kayak, at least it seemed like they were, you know, doing the composite manufacturing in house. They were trying to like do something kind of innovative there. And this seems like it's not that. I mean, just so, so EJ, like I could see EJ thinking like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to make money the traditional way of just slogging away delivering boats that people want, you know, or in, in doing the, the grunt work of customer service or whatever that's involved in growing a business. He wants to revolutionize the industry overnight or over the course of a year and introduce a product that no one's making, no one's thought about making only because they didn't have the brilliant idea that he has to sell this great fishing kayak, you know, which is a huge risk, you know, um, but like that, I mean, I guess to me, like that seemed like, like, as you say, like that was an idea, like making another composite playboat from another, you know, existing manufacturer that just does the normal stuff. Like there's right. nothing revolutionary about that at all. Like my old school way of thinking is that the pathway to doing what he's doing is not, is not, uh, is not starting out with the most 
you know, the most high end, the, the most elusive, you know, the most unusual product in paddle sports, which is just really a small industry, you know, and then not have enough money to get this started and start asking people you don't know to invest in this business is to make something you know is boring and it's going to sell and it's going to do check all the right boxes in terms of bringing revenue into place. And you're going to build this thing over some very right. long, boring period of time. And then the reward will be when you have the cash to do this stuff, you start developing these other high-end products that are going to just, you know, be your pet projects and see where they take you. You know, I just call me old fashioned. Now I hear what you're saying. I mean, no, I, I think when we I think when we talked about the fishing kayak, we we're like, oh, if he can make that for five grand, the highest standard. But it came in at twelve thousand dollars, you know. But I just saw online that he's selling these whitewater boats for twenty nine ninety nine. So, I mean, to me, that's a approachable right. price point. No, no retailer, right? No retailer. No. I mean, yeah. as best I can understand, it's pre ordering directly, and it's kind of hard to understand exactly on the website like i perused through it a little bit but it's very confusing because it's like in one step he's got this boat uh, there's the rebound and the something whatever the extreme slalom boat but you can't do extreme slalom extreme slalom in a composite boat and in his messaging it's like next we're going to come out with the plastic of this extreme slalom boat. So it, it's, I, I don't know where it, extreme slalom. Who, who does extreme slalom? It, it doesn't even exist. I don't you know, know anybody. I don't know any boater that I value who looks extreme slalom as an answer to anything or answering a problem that anyone has with a sport. Yeah. But I mean, the thing is, it's is, an embarrassment. I mean, extreme slalom is an embarrassment. It's like, it is a blight on white water slalom. Can we fairly say it's a bastardization of the sport? It's it's fucking boater cross. It's been done, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, so, no. perfect timing. Uh, I mean, uh, here's where I could be wrong, and this is how we're gonna segue into right. <laughs> Someone could crack the nut, right? Maybe EJ's onto something. I'm just not thinking about. And the thing is, is that everyone's sick of rotor molded plastic boats and all the shortcomings therein, and everyone wants something they can run the little white in all season that weighs 28 pounds. That's rigid, right? Uh. That's what everyone wants. And maybe that's possible. Maybe EJ is going to crack that nut and he's going to prove me wrong and and make me look like a fool. And Ryan's here to explain how that's going to happen. Thank you. Welcome to the show. We have Ryan Bond who just came in. I got to just tell you this new technique of these like link invites is the best thing we've got going on here. Yeah, it's like people barging in the litter. I'm on my phone right now. So you got to tell if you can hear me. Okay. And oh, you sound and look great. Yeah, the Just, uh, my, back. My, computer, my computer updated to Windows 11, and when it did that, it lost my microphone forever. So I don't know what happened, but uh, anyway, here we are. Um, how are you guys? Good. So we have Ryan Bond on the show. We're calling you our composites expert. Is that a legit title? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Billy Hurt might have something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> So to bring you up to speed, we just – and one of the reasons we wanted to bring you on here is we were just talking about uh, EJ's venture that's been out for a while now. It's not even new at this point, um, Apex Watercraft, where he made $12,000 um, kayak kayaks for fishing. 
and now he has launched a line. Uh, he went from uh, uh, fishing kayaks to freestyle playboats, and there's somewhere in between there an extreme slalom boat. And we're trying to make sense of it all, and we really can't, so we need your help. Okay. Uh, what, what has happened? Do you guys know anything about these boats at all um, in terms of how they're made, where they're made? How many have been made and all that good stuff? Research isn't really our strong suit. <laughs> That's what you're here for, Dan. <laughs> speculations were our, our ballywick. Yeah. <laughs> Bert and speculations. Got it. <laughs> um, we know that they're made in Portugal, last I heard. Um, it's Nalo is making them. Yeah. Okay. okay. That company. Yeah. Yeah. So they like they get traditionally make slalom boats or have made slalom boats. So I suspect it's probably similar construction to what what we've all seen for the last twenty or thirty years, forty years. Jeez, you know. Uh, so I would, you know, his extreme slalom boat might be fine for doing these, um, the World Cup and potentially the. I don't know if that's an Olympic sport yet, or they're trying to get it to be an Olympic sport. But you have to use a plastic boat in those competitions, yeah. so it doesn't. So that's a mute point. So why is he building these? <laughs> That's what we have you here for. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so my feeling with okay, let's back up. Let me let me let me steer this just a little bit. So you talk about the processes for the past twenty, thirty years that they're building boats. What is that process to our viewer who knows nothing about that? So they're using Woven fabrics, which is uh, traditionally the fiberglass, carbon, or Kevlar, some combination of the of the different materials that are available, and then some sort of uh, polymer resin. So it's going to be a thermoset resin, which is going to be uh, either an epoxy, a vinyl ester, or a polyester, or it could be even a urethane. Or there's a bunch of different um, polymers that are used as the uh, to kind of give the, give the structure to the fabric, right? Uh, so everything's molded. Typically, it's going to be vacuum bag, so it's going to be put into a mold, and the bag's going to be pulled over, and vacuum's going to be um, applied to the to the cat to that cavity, and it's going to uh, consolidate the laminate and the resin into the mold, and kind of give you that optimum fiber to resin uh, ratio that you're looking for. Um, because if you have too much resin, you're going to have a heavy boat that's going to break. If you don't have enough resin, you're going to have a light boat that's going to break. There is an optimum level of resin to fiber. So that's been done for, like I say, I mean, 40, 40 or more years at this point. Um, that's how we used to build boats back in the 90s. Uh, they're still made. Um, you know, there's been variations on how you bag them, um, how you actually laminate them, if you're wetting them out by hand or if you're doing a vacuum infusion or if you're doing a pre-preg, which is going to be where you've got, you buy the fabric with the resin already uh, impregnated into it. And um and all that stuff, again, has been around forever. I mean, Lewis and I built boats in Lewis's basement when we were teenagers using pre-preg and vacuum bags when we were in high school. Um, so we've been around this stuff for a while, and I can tell you that from what I've seen in the kayaking industry, none of that's changed. Um, in the rest of the world, there's been some improvements for sure, but the stuff that you're going to have to see to get a boat to be strong enough for you know your your hard white water um is you're gonna need to use a, a different resin system um 
And thermosets have been great because they allow kind of you can tailor the cure time so you can actually work with them. Um, they usually are a room temperature cure or a slightly elevated temperature cure so you can work with them in a normal shop environment. Um, the stuff that I think you would need, and this is, uh, I mean, from what I've seen, the stuff you would need is needs to be processed at temperatures of, of over 300 degrees Fahrenheit, which which really changes, you know, your molds and how you make your molds, what your molds are made out of, and your your working environment. Um, if that you makes need sense. like an autoclave or something to do this, right? Even an autoclave would be pushing it. I mean, you're not going to be you're not going to be wetting out resin that's 300 degrees, you know, in a you know, and you're, and you're not going to be, you know, imagine to the best material that's available right now would be what's called a, a thermoplastic, which is what roto-molded boats are made out of. They just don't have any fiber. So they're just plastic, pure plastic. You can get fiber impregnated with a thermoplastic, but it, it's rigid when you get it. So it's not in roll form, it's in sheet form. So that has to then be thermoformed or, um, I mean, it, Injection molding is the other way to do it, but then you're talking about little short, tiny fibers and not long, continuous fibers that run the whole boat. Um, I think there is room in the in the market for or in the space for um, short fiber uh, thermoplastic construction. But when you do that, you're talking about really complex tooling, especially for a hollow cavity product like a kayak, where you've got a an exterior mold. You're going to have to have some sort of interior mold. You don't just spray the stuff into the mold and hope it sticks you need to you basically need to create that thin shell cavity between an, an interior mold and an exterior mold and then inject under pressure and under high temperature a ther the thermoplastic resin that has short fibers in it which are going to give it more strength um, one of the things i think people have seen in the construction industry is uh the, the addition of fiberglass fibers into concrete so instead of using rebar they're using chopped fiberglass fiber mixed in with the with the uh, concrete, and they pour a slab, and that helps give it that reinforcement. It's the same concept, but instead of concrete, you're using some sort of thermoplastic. Um, but you need a you know that's where like I say your tooling gets really expensive. So the, the thing about it is that I'm not saying it can't be done, um, but you're you know to prototype this stuff is is very very difficult and very expensive. So even on a small scale, if you were to try and make a, a, a kayak the size of like a water bottle, for instance, just to see if you could get it to work, would still be extremely expensive. Um, and then you're going to have to scale that up to a, you know something that you can actually get in and paddle around. So that's that's kind of the biggest hurdle I see with it is that uh, somebody would have to have gained experience in this method somewhere in like aerospace or in maybe in like F1 racing, something like that. And then really and, want to expand the paddle sports. <laughs> and then be like, man, I paid all my money. I'm just going to go blow it on this hobby whitewater thing. <laughs> really? Yeah. Paddle sports. So that, I mean, that's kind of the long and short of it. I mean, there are there are some, some better thermoset resins out there, but ultimately I think it comes down to people just don't, spend the time looking for this stuff. I mean, you'd have to do a shitload of tests and you'd have to try out a bunch of different resins. I mean, I, I for one, have found a, an epoxy resin that's used primarily in the um, archery world. So it's used for um, laminating uh, bows, for compound bows, the actual bow limbs. Uh, and it's got like, it's about 10 times the, uh, 
the toughness and, and flexural modulus of your standard laminating epoxy, which most people are using. Um, it's hard to get, it's hard to find, and it's by a company that no one's ever heard of. Um, and so unless you're really in this world and looking for it, you, you know, you, you don't know what's out there. Uh, and I think that's kind of the biggest, one of the other challenges is that you got to have someone who's spent a lot of time in composites, um, and has experienced a lot of different things and seen a lot of different things to, to have at least a, a good step in the right direction to start trying stuff. But even then, I mean, it, it, it just, it all comes down to money. You gotta have, you gotta have funds to be able to do this stuff. Um, I mean, is your gut feeling it's just not economically viable in a sport this small? I mean, not for what we're charging, or not for what you're paying for a whitewater boat now. I mean, you know, if if the sport grew tremendously um, and volume went up tremendously, then you'd be talking. Um, I mean, you look at like, you take like ski boots for example. Um, Thirty years ago, there was a handful of manufacturers. You can get a bunch of different sizes, but they didn't have a ton of models. And you walk into a, a ski store today, and how many ski boots are out there, right? I mean, there's hundreds of different models and and brands, and uh, and part of that is because I mean, all that tooling that goes into that is is super expensive. But they've also figured it out. They know how to do it. But they they're like, we can sell a hundred of this boot and five hundred of this boot. So let's go ahead and make the molds and and build these build these ski boots. Um, like we just don't have anything like that. That's even closely transferable in, in the whitewater world, uh, as far as I can tell. But you're looking at dozens and dozens of, of stream slalom kayaks. I know exactly. So, I mean, if they want to plunk down like 25 or $30,000 for a boat, uh, yeah, sure. Like I'll start taking orders right now. <laughs> give, me, give me 20 guys who want to spend 20 grand and we'll, we'll, we'll start production. I mean, you think the answer is that, that fiber-enforced fiber enforced thermoplastic? Yeah, and so about 13, 14 years ago, I, I was looking into it a little bit more um, carefully. And so there's a couple things that I think would really help make a boat, a whitewater boat, really strong. One is eliminating the seams on it. Um, so if you can build it in one piece, that's that's critical because the seams are always going to be your failure point. You've got secondary bonding. Liquid Logic was thermoforming some boats a while ago, and I know there. I know the seam. You know they have these H channels, or whatever, for these seams. But like, what was? Do you, you remember what was going on there? And I never saw them. Now I have no idea what they were doing. Grace, but the seam failed, right? The seam ultimately failed. Yeah. yeah. They were so also do doing some boats. Now they weren't. Um, they weren't whole, but they were working with a company uh, called Milliken. Are you familiar with Milliken? They make everything from carpets. They're a huge company. And they tried their best to work with plastic fibers to come up mm -hmm. with a boat. And they just spent money on top of money on top of money. And what happened was they got a good boat. But yeah. as soon as it started to uh, have abrasion, that yeah. all of that structure from the fiber broke down. You know what I mean? It couldn't handle abrasion. So it was almost like it needed that, but it needs something to, like, fix the abrasion on the outside of the boat. And this is very layman understanding I'm, I'm explaining here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing about it, like you say, they spent money. They just spent tons of money on it. And they might have been close, you know, like another $100,000 might have gotten them over the hump. Right. Uh, and, you know, I mean, like, you could get real creative with it. I mean, like I say, a bunch of years ago, I was looking at it and I was, what I came up with was an idea of using braided socks. So instead of 
uh, flat woven fabric was to use a giant sock of, of braided carbon, right? So it's so it's like a tube. It's kind of what a lot of paddle shafts are made out of. Um, and putting that in a mold with a with a hole in the center for where your cockpit's going to be, and then. Uh, you could, there was a thermoplastic that was available that basically you bought it in a pre-polymerized form. So it wasn't a thermoplastic yet. Um, you'd heat it up to about 150 degrees and polymerize it. And in that stage, you had, at that stage, you had about 20 minutes while it was still somewhat uh, thin, uh, thin enough viscosity that you could apply it to the fabric and then bag it. But it was, you know, at that point, then it had to be held at 300 degrees Fahrenheit and I was like, I can't do this in my garage, so I'm out. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it's like I say, like you get real creative and you look, start looking down those paths, you might be able to find, you might be able to find a way to do it. I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying it has to cost a ton of money, but for someone to go at it um, with any thought of like being successful, they need, they need to have some pretty deep pockets to at least experiment, you know, I mean, materials super expensive especially right now carbons carbon prices have gone up 300 percent resin prices have gone up uh 240 percent in the last uh two years so um everything's gotten more expensive so so, you know just to buy material to to try out basically i mean half the stuff's going to go in the garden so we're rolling all the kayaks for at least the next 20 years that's what you're saying ryan yeah i don't understand I don't understand why boats break now. Like 30 years ago, my plastic boat lasted me. I, in fact, I still have a plastic boat that I paddled in 2001. I still paddle today. How, how many times do you paddle a year? Now or like back then? <laughs> both. <laughs> so between 2001 and 2005, I probably paddled it like 100 times a year. Uh, now I paddled it like maybe like a hundred times in the last 15 years. <laughs> All right. What's, so this is someone off the subject, but what's, what's, what's uh Corin doing in Asia? What's his, how's that, how's that work? Where he has to make you a boat. And I'm not listen, I'm not trying to pitch Corin's business. At all. I just want to understand the process, like how he's able to make one of a kind boats. So I don't know exactly. I mean, part of it is that he's got cheap labor, right? Um, you know, if you're paying people dollars a day or ten dollars a day to work, then you can you can kind of push through these projects pretty pretty uh, cost effectively. Um, but they also have you know CNC machining has come a long way in the last twenty years as well, and it's just not as expensive to buy a CNC machine. Um, you know, and if you can find cheap labor in Asia to run that machine, then you can you can turn plugs and molds. Uh, you know, pretty quickly and pretty cheaply, really. I mean, you're, you're most expensive. What do you think these molds out of? I mean, they're probably made out of foam, some sort of cheap foam. They're machining them. I mean, so one way you can do cheap one-off prototypes is you machine a block of foam. Uh, you pull up, you put the entire thing in a big uh, envelope bag, like a vacuum bag, and you pull a vacuum on it. So that creates your release agent to the foam and it gets you pretty damn close to the finished shape and you laminate straight to that. Um, and you can have a mold like that done in, in about six or seven hours for a kayak, I bet ready to go. Oh, wow. Uh, 
it's going to take you longer than that to laminate the boat, but, and then you got to have them seam it and do all that. But again, like that's all just manual labor. If you're paying, if you're paying, you know, Asia prices for this stuff and, then that's probably how he's doing it. But I've never seen one of his boats, so I can't really be sure of it. That's, that's how it looks to me. Like I've seen them and they look like, they look like one-offs. They got sprayed after they, you know, came off the plug and like you i can see like bridging you know like places for example like where the concavity was meant to be for the recess for the grab loops where you could see that it was like the fabric had been bridging yep so like i mean that made me think that was what they'd done there yeah and then the other thing is shoot it with a with a pretty thick uh, polyester primer and then sand the whole thing and that's how you get kind of a nice finish on it and then and then paint it i mean it's it's not crazy to think about how he's doing it for sure that's not so I, I stepped away for just a second and you were talking about plastic, why plastic boats are breaking now. Where did that go when I left? Cause I, this guy's <laughs> made, I'm like, that's pretty much where it went. His data, his data on this is inclusive. Well, this I mean, I mean, it's pretty uncanny yeah, that Lewis and Darby just took a 1990s kayak up and won a, uh, a whitewater race amongst hundreds of competitors and the boats didn't break and they still held up and whatnot, but you can get a new, I don't want to name any names or manufacturers and get 30 or 40 runs on it. And it's got a crack in it. Is that, is that where you were going with yeah, that Ryan? Or am I just making exactly. it? Exactly. Like I, I, I do feel like the, the, and I don't have any evidence to back this up. And I think we tried to, I, I think I've, I've tried to get, John to, to poke some of the manufacturers to get this information is I, I do think that the, the plastics, they're not using the same plastics they used to use. I don't know why that is. If it's, they're more expensive, maybe they're harder to process. They're not getting as good a product or as easy. Uh, they're not as easy to, to get as good a product. You're not having as many failures in the molding process. Um, or maybe they're not available because of environmental reasons. I don't know. You know, some of this stuff goes out of, out of, uh, production because it's killing people or the, you know, the, the precursor is, is a, uh, turns out it causes cancer. And so they, they, they stopped making that material that happened with the surfboard blank manufacturer, Clark foam. And I think it happened with, uh, the canoe manufacturing material Ro- Rolex, I think is what it was. That's um, what happened to Rolex canoes. Royal X. Royal X. Royal X. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, well, they stopped making it. I don't know. I, again, that I'm not sure why. I know with Clark Foam, it was there was like a whole bunch of wrongful death lawsuits uh, from factory workers. Um, so they they stopped making that stuff too. So I, you know, Man, I, I thought you were gonna have like a. Go ahead. I, I, I thought you were gonna have like paint a rosier picture for us about the future, about how if these guys just got their act together, we'd be paddling thirty-five pound boats on a little way. They're like, it's just I'm disappointed of- here. <laughs> I apologize. I, wish I feel I like we've that. had some more optimistic conversations about this in the past. So the the other way, I mean, so the the other way that I thought about making boats, and I, I'm like happy to share this, and I hope somebody takes it and runs with it, is instead of making them all one pieces, you actually make them with seams, but you make the seams very very strong. Um, and you build the boat in a way where you can build basically a hull, a deck, and the seams all uh, independent molded, but they're all easy to mold. So you can thermoform, thermoplastic, or carbon fiber reinforced thermoplastic material, and then you bond that stuff together with 
a urethane adhesive like the 3M 5200, which is a, uh, a marine adhesive that's extremely tenacious stuff. Uh, and it's got huge elongation, which is kind of what you want. You want everything to be able to flex and, and, and not break. And that's ultimately what happens is, is when the kayaks are hitting rocks, they're flexing and they're, they're going past that modulus of elasticity and that's what's cracking them. Um, so you need something that can take that, that abuse and flex away from the, the impact, uh, without failing, um, and then come back to its shape, you know? Uh, like if you had a rubber boat, for instance, like it would bounce off rocks, but it wouldn't really hold shape very well. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I think there are ways to do it. It's just, uh, man, just, it's a losing battle. I think, I mean, white water, white water is a tough, a tough market to get into. <laughs> well, at least we got thermo. I mean, at least we got plastic boats, rotomotor boats. They work good. Yeah. But so you, one thing I like to point out too is like the like I like to to look at the the plastic boat manufacturer, the life cycle of a plastic boat manufacturer, um, and and I've seen this for a few years or for a few decades now, where somebody gets into making whitewater boats because they love whitewater and they love paddling, which is awesome. They get into it and they start rotomolding molding boats and they figure out how to roto-mold. And it turns out that roto-molding boats is pretty hard. It's not an, it's not as simple as just spinning a mold in an oven and out comes your boat. Um, then it turns out that you can make other things roto-molding that actually like a trash can that, that might be worth $50 or $60. <laughs> but, it you know, you can do it in half the time. It doesn't take any any real skill compared to a kayak. And, and, uh, and those guys will transfer out of whitewater into – Typically, they go into recreation first, but they also kind of fill the voids with consumer products, um, consumer plastic products. And, and don't try to pro deal a garbage can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the warranty on a garbage can? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're doomed. Let's talk about paddles real quick. Talk about what? Paddles. Paddles, okay. Yeah. Are paddles, I think paddles are harder to make than a boat in some ways. Like I think, I think demands on a paddle are sometimes it, well, put together paddles tougher. I think there's two sides to it. One is to, to, to build paddles versus building boats the way they're built today. Yes. Building paddles, I think is, is much, much harder. Um, the type of manufacturing I'm talking about for, for building that 28 pound little white boat, that's going to be harder and, and it's going to be way more technologically advanced than what you're seeing in paddle manufacturing today. Um, I think the paddle is fairly optimized at this point. I'm not sure that there's a lot of room for improvement in the paddle. So now it's a matter of streamlining manufacture. People uh, still break paddles. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, if you want them to be, if you don't mind them being a little heavier, you won't break them anymore. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think that if you get into, I, I mean, 20 plus years ago, somebody was making thermoplastic uh, shafts for, for paddles, right? Do you remember those, Lewis? I think Kurt had one. Like, vaguely, Kurt had one. I'm, I'm not sure I ever, yeah, he had like one. And it, was, it was a little heavier, but it was unbreakable, you know? Like, you couldn't, you could not break the thing. And for some reason, it just never, never never showed up again like those things came and went pretty quickly remember the guy who was selling that guy probably like, went the guy who was selling those like pole vaulting shafts 
I bought a titanium paddle shaft. That was the worst paddle I ever saw. <laughs> no, the, you're talking about those seven seven twos or whatever? They were like... Yeah. There was that dude. Remember that guy who, uh, when you broke your ankles in Canada, that dude? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, I forgot about that. <laughs> he was like, he'd like gone to a, like a pole vaulting manufacturer and got them to make kayak paddle, like shafts. And they were super flexible, but you couldn't break them. Right? It sounds like a nightmare. But they were shitty. So it turns out. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like the bottom line is like, like it's like what you were saying about there's not that much room for improvement. It's like I find my paddles satisfactory. I find my kayak has substantial room for improvement. <laughs> so wait, when was the last time you had like a catastrophic failure of a paddle, Lewis? Uh... It snapped off at the throw and you had nothing. to. You were like swimming. Or, you know, in dire straits. I don't know. Probably in the last year. Okay. Okay, so how many times a year do you think that happens? To me, like, less than once a year at this point. Yeah. Okay. How about you, John? Do you kayak anymore? Grace? (laughs) Shoulder surgery notwithstanding. I mean, no, I had a shoulder for last year. I was shoulder for 10 years. I'm just my paddles, though. Like I never, even in my peak of kayaking, I never broke a paddle. I think I broke, I've broken like one or two paddles in my entire paddling career. Okay. What about I mean, you? I had this like this. Yeah. But I, but I probably used a lot heavier paddles than on balance. Like over the course of my career, my paddles are usually probably a lot heavier than. I had those paddles I was getting from Billy for a while. That was like this, this bent shafts that he'd gotten from somewhere that I was breaking one like, like every month probably. And every time he'd sell me the next one, like a little cheaper. I was like, I'm done with this. And he'd be like, he'd be like I'll give you the next one for 75 bucks. I'm like, all right, fine, one more. I think it might be some guy who used to sell, I think he was an acid, he used to sell acid to kayakers, I think. He was selling titanium paddle shafts. Does this ring a bell to anybody? I know, I know. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. Talking to What's that? After your comment, I can't say who he was. <laughs> okay. So I, have, I, don't the okay. I don't remember the acid part, but I remember the titanium palace. Karen's yeah, going to send me a text and be like, can you take that out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, he made he was selling those things. And I think, like, the straight shafts were probably – well, so the, I think the issue is it was, was really hard to get the, the, sha- the blades to bond to the shaft. I had no problem. Like, didn't, but everyone else did. Apparently, I, I had a boat shop. <laughs> I would say I probably spent about ten years where I would break two to three paddles a year. No shit. Yeah, probably about. Well, three, I don't know. I think there years. is room. That's that's the math I'm hearing. Yeah, I mean, if yeah, if you're breaking them two to three a year, then yes, then that's that's definitely something else. I mean, I think that also probably. I broke six in two thousand and two. I remember that. What what brand were they? Every one you gave me. <laughs> it didn't matter what it was. I mean, I gotta say too, I I don't know if I would I would be scared a little scared to use an unbreakable paddle. Like I feel like at some point you probably want the paddle to break. I disagree. Yeah, I'm not seeing the logic It'll there. Fly out of your hands, kind of thing. My this is my thing with boats is if you've ever paddled a light stiff kayak. You super know awesome. what's there. Do you know what I'm saying? And you want that. Like, I want that's that. I want that. 
Uh, Ryan, you're here to tell me how to get that. God. You've seen kayak. You've seen it. You know it exists. Yeah. You continue to see one. I can make you. I can make you a twenty-eight pound C one that you can run the little white in. <laughs> uh, for twenty grand, can I have a? Can I have a? How long will it last? Like, how many little whites can I get out of my twenty? I need, yeah, I need twenty like, pounds. I need you and nineteen to, to do that in order to get you that boat. Because you can't just build one of them. I mean, I mean that's the thing. It's let's like, just say it's above three feet. How many runs can you get out of this boat? This twenty thousand dollar boat, Ryan. Oh, I don't know because it doesn't exist. Uh, <laughs> it's like saying, like, like is it is it the last kayak I ever need? Unicorns are birthed <laughs> every year. <laughs> oh man! Well, I guess we figured yeah. out. There's no hope. I think. I mean, I think you can do it. I think it would be as good. It would be better than your current roto molded boats. Um, just I, again, I mean, actually, I shouldn't even say twenty grand. I have no idea what it would cost to get it. Um, I, I think ultimately it would be less than that, but the first figuring it out is going to cost a fortune. I mean, is this like That's something it. we have to go to Boeing? Like, who do we go to to make this happen? Who has the tooling to actually create this unicorn? That's a good question. Uh, you know, there's a company up in north of Seattle called Janicky, uh, and they are really like the tip of the spear in terms of, of composite manufacturing. Um, they build a lot of the tooling, a lot of the components for Boeing. That's why they are where they are. Um, and they are, they would be the ones who would be able to kind of probably steer you in the right direction. But honestly, like the problem with composites is that Somebody figures something out and they keep it a secret. You know, that's how you keep your business and get your business to be successful. You don't tell everyone what you're doing. You know, most composite shops won't let you in the door. They don't want you seeing how they're doing things. It's like little tips and tricks are the difference between success and failure. You know, um, there's a reason if you Googled, say, paddle manufacturing, you aren't going to see any videos online how they're building um, because it's a secret. Yeah, we started doing like like customer service videos on on anything skirts or dry suits. We're always like we can't tip the cards too much. Yeah, exactly. Because as soon as you show somebody how you're doing it, they're gonna they're just gonna copy it. So, you know. <laughs> do you think personal boat building is ever gonna come back? I think it is actually. I I actually feel like kayaking is going back to where it was in like the late '80s where. People are going to have to start making their own stuff. Just, just with prices and just, just, just to have stuff. I mean, like, you know, like John's got a good thing going, selling skirts and dry suits. Uh, the, I mean, boat manufacturers, like, they're going to hold on. But like, how many, like, how many boat manufacturers were there in the late '90s versus today? Twice as many, three times as many. Um, you know, if we lose a couple more boat manufacturers, I think people are going to have to start figuring out how to build boats. Uh, paddles are an interesting one because I think there's still enough, there's enough of a market. Um, and there, you know, the other thing about paddles versus boats is you look at how much space they take up to manufacture, right? You don't need 10, 20,000, 30, 40,000 
uh, square feet of, of warehouse space to, to build and store kayaks. You know, if you're doing paddles, you can do it in a much smaller space. Um, everything is manageable, right? You're not, you don't have a huge material handling stuff in place to move giant aluminum kayak molds around, things like that. Uh, so boat building is in a way boat building is harder because it requires so much more infrastructure. Um, but I think that, yeah, people are going to have to start making their own stuff again, which, you know, you should, everyone should just start see wanting because that's, that's like what you have to do all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here on the hammer factor first folks. So here's just a question to throw out there. What's a more personal piece of gear to you, your boat or your paddle? To me, I both. Like, I can't do without either one that are mine. Like, I can't get in someone else's C1 and feel good. Uh, I started kayaking this last year. want to feel good. <laughs> started kayaking this year a little bit because my knees and my ankles are just not holding up very thank, well anymore. Thank you don't God. Say. Thank God. I flew across crazy it is i flew across country to, to go run the golly with actually john was there and i was like called my buddy uh kaleva and i was like hey i need a boat and a paddle and some gear and he's like great what do you want and i was like i don't really care like it's a kayak right i can adjust it at the at the put-in he's like yep and i was like great got a boat got a paddle got in the water had a great time like You're didn't think quite about how the boat fit me or how the paddle felt in my hand it was completely yeah. different if i had yeah. borrowed someone's c1 i would have been bitching the entire day about how crappy <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's classic let's wrap this thing up yeah what are All we right. you want to keep riding around for uh the, the last segment are we gonna do some listener mail here we're we just gonna go right into rants and raves what do you think about lithium ion technology in boats ryan in boat i'm not sure it has a place I, I don't think, to, I don't I think any to differ. White water needs to be powered. Oh, just okay. think if you had like an eight second burst or like a ten second burst that was just like wow, like you were like in a big asshole and you're just like ah, I'm getting beat down. You're just like bah! roost right out of that, dude. Yeah, I'd rather have like come a, on, like that'd be badass. Oxygen tank. <laughs> take a couple of hits off of. <laughs> <laughs> All you need is that two ten that two ten that guy was asking about last episode. That's your burst right there. <laughs> Power treat. Uh, Good row special. <laughs> I mean, we're an hour and forty five minutes in, so we can probably skip our listener mail and get onto that. But we've got quite the backlog of listener mail here that we need to get through yeah. at some point. I feel I feel bad about dissing them, but um, Ryan, you want to stick around for some rants and raves? What do you guys, you going into it right now? Yeah, we can go into it. What do you think? What do you guys think? Lewis? Sure. I'm prepared as usual. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to everybody's favorite segment of the show where we go into a little bit of rant or a little bit of rave about the dark cloud that is Lewis, the <laughs> absolute despair of never having a composite boat and the incredible prices we're going to pay for kayaks in the coming future so who would like to start us off with their rant or their rave 
Lewis? What I read about the train. I took the train home from Montana. It was sweet. It was cheap. I like got on. I had like a you know, like a bed on the train. I like got on the train and whitefish and I went to sleep and when I woke up I was a binger. And it was uh it was pretty sweet. Maybe I feel like sleep? I lived in a civilized country. What's that? Did you actually sleep? I did. Yeah, it was great. Okay. Yeah. The train. Mr. Weld. I have a rave. Ugh. The rave is about this this thing I bought. It's called a tushy. And I got this on Ryan's. Wait, what's it called? A tushy. <laughs> Ryan sent me the link because I couldn't, I could not, you know, people talk about all the hassles of dislocating your shoulder and getting surgery, but they don't tell you that if you're right-handed, you cannot wipe your butt that easily. I mean, because <laughs> it's like a stranger is wiping my butt. It's not working. And so Ryan says, you get a tushy. And I was honestly at wit's end because it was just a disaster. And so I got this thing, life-changing, life-changing. Ryan, did you get one? I haven't got one. I just haven't been able to like pull the trigger on like a hundred and twenty dollar accessory for my. Well, toilet. it's seven. You get one. It's like a bidet. Basic one. It's a bidet, right? <laughs> I thought I've been wiping my butt for the past forty or fifty years. Uh-uh. I've, I've been wiping my butt. I've been just smearing poop around with a piece of paper. As it turns out, this bidet is amazing. Amazing. Can I come over and demo it? What's that? Was, first of all, my toilet paper consumption is about zero. I mean, there's a little, a little drying afterwards. I mean, but it's minimal, and it's, it's clean. You're clean, right? Yeah. I'm interested for sure. I, I would like to. Yeah, I don't know. I need to just do it. I haven't. I think it's actually in my shopping cart on Amazon. I just haven't checked out yet. This will be the best seventy dollars you've ever spent. Like it. Yeah, it takes a minute to install. I'm telling you. <clears throat> That's my rave. Is it electric powered? Lithium ion? You plug it in? What do you? No, 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 no. You seriously? All you do is you hook the the the, the hose to your to toilet tank and you plug this thing in and there's a little dial there next to your toilet seat and it takes like five minutes to install. I mean, it's super easy. But what like it's cold water? Where does the water the, come from? Is it a pump? Water or? pressure comes from the pressure. No, no, the pressure in your toilet, the line to your toilet. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Hot tip right here in the Hammer Factor. Yeah. I'm going to rave about taking little kids and teaching them to kayak versus teaching an adult. Because I had an experience last weekend taking a group of eight little kids kayaking down the lower green and they were just shredding all over the place and the next day i took a family member who was an adult and it was like fighting a dog the whole way down the river so i'm gonna give a big rave to paddling with kids watching them shred up like it good is it my turn am i supposed to go mm -hmm. give us a rant dude yeah, dig deep. <laughs> I was gonna rave because I, I was. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna rave. I can rant. I'll rant after. I'll give you a little bit of both. But uh, I'm gonna rave about electric electric bikes, e-bikes. Uh, I, I helped John with this uh, e-bike project for his son uh, Asher, and it was like super awesome. 
It was yeah. it was like this kit that he got from China. Fairly straightforward um, and super duper fun. And so since then, I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole of looking more into these electric bikes and and uh, and there's a ton of ton of conversions out there and you can make looks like you can make some really fun things so it's on my on my project list of things to do we converted a 72 suzuki tc90 motorcycle like an old 70s like dirt bike for kind of for kids or smaller people as a 90 you know 90 cc bike but we tore the frame down painted it it looked pretty much mint condition right and put this uh electric motor on it and like 14 year olds were tooling around town on this thing like a badass. <laughs> so we were at a uh, barbecue the other night and there was a teacher from the middle school there. It's a friend of ours. And she said, uh, she said there was like this big, uh, hub, hub, hub at the uh, middle school. Cause the, the principal <laughs> was calling all the teachers and complaining. There was a motorcycle parked at the bike rack. One of the kids ridden the motorcycle to school. Yeah, we got we got called. Yeah, the principal called our house. What the hell's going on? Like, yeah, I think I know who that is. <laughs> Ryan, you're yeah. gonna be my guy to implement this technology into a kayak. Hey, that yeah. what that is all lithium ion technology, right? I there, know buddy. exactly what it is. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's a guy who wrote in to us, and he is going to be. There, there's a, there's a, there's a group of eight or ten people who are ready to pounce on this, and you're gonna see it. I'm gonna say right here on the Hammer Factor, 2022, June first. Is it June first? June first. In three years, there's gonna be a whitewater boat with some lithium-ion technology propulsion. Three years. You just heard it right there. It's gonna be badass, just like that scooter you made for Asher. It's gonna be badass. I think I think that's actually the, the, the scooter type thing is the uh, that's actually the, the shuttle vehicle because it you know you can actually pick that thing up you could build a much lighter one obviously but but that's like a perfect shuttle vehicle. Have you ever rode a yeah, one wheel? Can... <laughs> I have. I have ridden a one wheel. I think this is better than a one wheel. Okay, interesting. Have you tried out the new GT? I have not. No. Oh my have God. you? Oh yeah, it's badass. It'll go like thirty oh. miles an hour. It goes too fast. <laughs> anyway, yeah, we've taken up your time long enough. What have we learned on this show? There'll never be a composite boat. <laughs> your paddling gear is going to cost too much, so you're going to have to make it yourself. And don't try Ed, to put on a river county because you'll get arrested. And Ed Gardner's the man. <laughs> so I think that's about Ed all Rivers. we've got. Um, all right. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, we hope you enjoy this, and we'll see you on episode 88. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Ryan.